You are listening to the Daily Homily for Magdala in the Holy Land. Those Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, If someone's brother dies leaving a wife with no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and likewise all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and remarry. But those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die. For they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush, when he called Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the scribes said in reply, Teacher, you have answered well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's understood that the scribes were in the party of the Pharisees, as far as I understand. And they were very happy that Jesus did a knockout boxing match on the first round (laughs) with the Sadducees because they were opposed. And one of the major bones of contention was the teaching on the resurrection, a teaching that only became evident late in the history of the chosen people and precisely was one of the points of distinction and differentiation between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the Sadducees were limiting themselves or their understanding that only the five books of Moses, so-called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, were the real source of revelation and they didn't admit the validity of the remaining books afterwards. In fact, today, the Samaritans who still exist, like the Good Samaritan, and there's a very small population, just hundreds of them in a few villages here, and one of them is near Jacob's Well in Sichem, the biblical name today called Nablus in the West Bank area in Samaria. And there is quite a community, and that's where their high priest lives, and they still have a... a, a seder for Easter, um, like the ancient tradition that was already established for remembering the Passover over from Egypt, uh, the two 
uh, out of slavery. And they still do that, and it's a big tourist attraction. And so they also only accept the first five books of the Bible. And what's interesting for me today was something I hadn't thought about so much before, was realizing the kindness of Jesus, the attention to that detail, so that he gave them reasons from the books that they accepted. He didn't read Ezekiel about the bones rising up or the Psalms that mentioned you will not leave my body to endure corruption, but he used a text from readings with which they were familiar and which they understood to be canonical. And that's a beautiful attitude of the heart, to go to meet people who differ from us in a place where we have common ground. To make that effort to think about others, what's of value to them, what do they understand, to enter their world, to listen to them. And our world needs a bit of schooling in that type of virtue, to listen to the other, to start out from their suppositions. And I would have to develop the thought a bit more, but just the impression came across my mind a few times in the last few months that some of the very opposing political camps in countries like the US today, actually you could celebrate both sides for certain virtues that they're pursuing that are in the interest of the human being. And to be able to find that common ground and to support it and to develop it so that we can grow in mutual acceptance and appreciation, and then to move on the other issues that are more divisive. Normally, the present-day methodology, especially in the social media, is just to pound on the other where they're wrong, and to rejoice that they got pounded. And wouldn't it be good that we listen and say, that's a beautiful value that you're defending, the freedom of the person, the development of the person, and so forth, to find the issues that motivate them. Sometimes there are very great ideological deviations. And in the case of the time of Jesus, there's still a great path to grow in revelation. And maybe we could dare to say today that we have a great path to develop and grow also within the church to understand the gift of revelation and its implications and to have great patience with each other and also to make the effort to study. Um, I'm very impressed with one person who was in contact with me recently uh, over this past year and has some very strong positions and is finding his way to the Catholic Church, but is battling over some things and rather critical of our Holy Father. And But he hasn't read the documents. He only has received what others have said about what the Pope is saying. And something very special happened in that regard in the last few days. Many people had understood that Pope Francis was sliding on things like certain principles of scripture about certain sexual moral issues. 
And it's very clear now from express statements that that's absolutely not true. And that's what I understood all along, but people were very skeptical. And I understand a little bit why, but it's very clear now that that doesn't have foundation. And this man was very effective and affected in that direction by a certain blogosphere mentalities. And what we need to do is to uh, heal these brokenness, this divisiveness, a spirit of opposition, a spirit of contradiction. Instead of looking how to find ways to help the other to discover the beauty. And this is a great discipline of the life and the soul. And maybe God does this with more people than we realize. And we could take example today from this king. And apparently this king, uh, he said, I was kindly and beloved in my rule. I do not know enough about Antiochus. I know that he was a prisoner in Rome, like a hostage, given or taken by the Romans to keep his father under control. And I think he spent about 13 years in Rome, which benefited him a lot in another way because he was treated like a prince but held as a hostage, so he learned a lot about the Roman life. And to learn about other cultures is always an enrichment. And then he came back and he um, continued where his father had left off. And that's a sad story in itself because his father was killed at the marriage of his daughter. Sad situation. But that's the way these kingdoms lived. And maybe some kingdoms today still operate with a lot of knifing behind the back. It could just be knifing in the social media, but it's enough to eliminate somebody. It's amazing the brutality that's still possible in the human heart. So Antiochus is now on his deathbed and he is entering into deep depression as we just read. But he also has this reflection. Now I recall the evils I did in Jerusalem. So he is already reaching a point of repentance. It mightn't be repentance for love of God, but at least it's waking up to the evil he did and calling it by its name. And when we're in denial, we're not doing ourselves any favor about any aspect of our life. It's understandable that people deny things for a moment, like that can't be true, that person can't have died, uh, this scandal can't have happened. We're in denial. And we go through that, the famous teaching about the Kubler-Ross, about the stages of grieving. And we can go through a moment of denial, but this man is already over the denial, and he's accepting that he did wrong. And probably, I think, it would be fair to anticipate that he had, there's a religious dimension in that. Because the people back then, they weren't professing atheism. They had gods, at least, and um, they were in a, had a spiritual openness and thought and reflection. And who knows what grace God gave him on his deathbed to completely repent. And that's all each of us need for all of our lives. So to have this idea of this vision of people needing redemption and of discovering things that they have with which we can work, with which we can build relationships, with which we can move forward, because we're called to be blessing for others and not policemen. 
We're called to be redeeming for others and not policemen and prison guards and condemning, and we're not called to be on the gallows pulling the rope or letting go so that the guy gets hanged. If we go to the psalm, it says, I will rejoice in your salvation, O Lord. Obviously, my own salvation. I will rejoice in the salvation you have for me, Lord. But I should rejoice in the salvation you have for Antiochus. And tell me one child of God that shouldn't have redemption. That's a hard one for some people because of so much hatred and so much hurt. And yet, we should be able to rejoice in their salvation. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Magdala, follow us on YouTube and on Facebook. Facebook.